It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself in a Christian worldview. So, welcome to Quantum number 264. Quantum is a podcast that looks at news and views and culture from throughout the world from a Christian perspective, but open to everybody. And welcome to you if you are a new listener. Uh, I am currently recording this in a garden shed of a friend in Scotland as we're preparing to return to Australia. So I thought that um, I might start with a bit of music that combines both Australia and Scotland. That's ACDC, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Um, I think that was their first hit actually. And that is Bon Scott. And the reason I'm mentioning him is not just this connection between Australia and Scotland, but also because uh, right around now in Kirrimuir in Scotland they have the Bon Fest. Uh, bon Scott, the former lead singer of ACDC before he tragically died. Uh, they have a festival there every year and hundreds if not thousands of people come and there's a statue of him up in Kirrimuir. used to love going up to Kirrimuir. But we don't just look at Scotland or Australia or America or England. Uh, we try and look at news from different countries throughout the world and here's a country that's been in the news for various reasons. Um, see if you can guess it from its national anthem.
that is the Ecuadorian national anthem, Salve o Patria, Hail o Fatherland, written in 1865 by a poet, Juan Leon Mera, after the president of the Senate, Nicolas Espinoza, uh, asked him to do it, and eventually it did become the Ecuadorian national anthem. I find it a bit ironic that the title is Hail, O Fatherland, a thousand times, O Fatherland. Glory be to you, glory be to you. Now your chest, your chest overflows. Now your chest overflows with joy and peace. Well, Ecuador is a country where there isn't a lot of peace anyway. I don't know how much joy. A fascinating country, right up on its... The, if you can envisage South America, it's up on the northwest. Um, it's officially the Republic of Ecuador, which literally translates in Spanish as Republic of the Equator. It's bordered by Colombia on the north, Peru on the east and south, and the Pacific Ocean on the west. It also includes the Galapagos Islands in the Pacific, about a thousand kilometers west of the mainland. Its capital and its largest city is Quito. It's 283,000 square kilometers, and that's a about uh, what four times the size, four and a half times the size of Scotland. It has 18 million people. But it's been in the news recently because of the incredible violence associated with politics there just now. There have been four, three rather, political related killings in the past four weeks, including that of the presidential candidate, a presidential, a presidential candidate. Uh, Pedro Briones, an organizer for Citizen Revolution, the party of the former president, Rafael Correa, was killed. Um, the, the presidential candidate who was killed was Fernando Villavicenzo, who was an outspoken critic of organized crime and corruption. And he was certainly almost killed by one of these gangs. And then on the 26th of July, there'd been a fatal shooting of the city of Manta's mayor, Agustin Intriago. Thousands of people have been killed in Ecuador over the past three years as the country has transformed into a major drug trafficking hub. Uh, crime and violence, as you can understand, are the major concerns of the election. And we need to pray 80% of the country profess to be Christian, nominally, so at least Roman Catholic and there is a, a significant evangelical movement, but we need to pray for Ecuador. Ecuador has also been in the news this week because of Mo, was Moses, is it Moses? Casiedo, who's joined Chelsea on an eight-year contract until 2031. That's Chelsea Football Club. Um, he's an international player. I think it was 115 million pounds. I mean, a ridiculous amount that he's being paid. Uh, he is the most expensive player in the English Premier League. He came out of poverty and I guess it's a way out of the violence and everything else as well. Well, I wish him well. I'm, I'm, I find it strange to live in a world where people are bought for that amount of money. Okay, I'm gonna do a couple of things now that are really kind of follow up to some of the stuff we were looking at before, previously and which are continually ongoing. Education is always a theme. Um, I was just 
enormously struck by the story of a Californian teacher called Villapando, uh, William Willie Villapando, who has claimed and taught toddlers that toddlers are not too young for a sexuality discussion. He wrote this, there is a common mythology that children live in this world in pure innocence and that by introducing or exposing them to the real world, adults are somehow shattering this illusion for them. He's spoken out against this idea of childhood innocence and he's got one thing right. I mean, I think it's horrifying what he's teaching. Not unique, I've come across it uh, far more than a lot of people are prepared to admit. I have come across it, I've come across it from teachers. But uh, thankfully, the vast majority of teachers would be horrified at that. But the one thing I think he has got right is he says this, that he blames Christianity. He also blames white cisgendered people. But he blames Christianity for shielding children. Too right. That's exactly what we need to do. And then here in Scotland, there's the extraordinary tale. And again, for me, this is not unique. I have come across this in several schools. A Fife teacher stood by while classmates ridiculed a 14-year-old pupil for his Christian beliefs. The teacher, Donna Gilchrist, joined in the teasing, telling the youngster Jesus was black, Jesus was gay. The boy told the General Teaching Council, other pupils, other pupils were teasing me because I was Christian and she wasn't doing anything about it. It's not nice people making fun of you in front of everybody and the teacher not really helping in that situation. Well, Gilchrist is in trouble not for that so much as for buying porn, uh, talking about buying porn, mocking a pupil with dyslexia and showing a violent 18 certificate film in class. Yeah, we need to be extremely careful about who teaches our children. Okay, we're, we're going to go on to climate change and I've got loads of, of news about this and some of these will just be very bitty bits um, and I put, I'll try and put links to all of it up on the website. But here's somebody who was a kind of hero of the environmentalist movement for a while, for a good while, Judith Curry. Listen to what she has to say here. A manufactured consensus, tie extreme weather events to global warming. I was adopted by the environmental advocacy groups and the alarmists, and I was treated like a rock star. What does that mean, treated like a rock oh star? Oh my God, I was flown all over the place to meet with politicians and to give these talks and lots of media attention. But then some researchers pointed out gaps in her research, years with low levels of hurricanes. So like a good scientist, I went in and investigated all that stuff. She realized her critics were right. Part of it was bad data. Part of it is natural climate variability. So you're the unusual researcher who looks at criticism of your paper and actually concluded they had a point. They had a point for sure. Then the ClimateGate scandal taught Curry that many researchers aren't so open-minded. Leaked emails showed university climate scientists conspiring to hide data. It showed a lot of really ugly things. Um, avoiding Freedom of Information Act requests, trying to get journal editors fired from their job. One email read, if you think this Yale professor is in the skeptics camp, get him ousted 
Seeing emails like that made Curry realize that climate change fanatics had corrupted the science because there's a climate change industry. Now, what's fascinating is she produced this research, and this is where I really admire a scientist like her, is some other scientists came along, pointed out gaps in her research, she came to see she was wrong. Now, because her research fitted the narrative, she was treated as a heroine or as a hero, and she was fated, as she says. But then, because she went along with the science, the actual science, she was disowned by her university, and although she believes in climate change and thinks it is man-made, she's been smeared as a climate change denier. And the point of all that is, that you dare to question, you lose your job. No wonder there's a consensus of how they put it, scientific fact, because if you dare to go against it, you're out. You'll lose research funding, you'll lose prestige, you'll lose the opportunity to publish. That's why people find it so difficult to trust in all of this. Okay, some other climate change news. Despite all the pressure, worldwide demand for oil reached a record high in June, 103.6 million barrels per day. There's an extraordinary story about wind turbines in Scotland, which, as I've travelled around here, I've just been so gutted to see some in spoiling the landscape. Um, but Scottish Power have admitted that it's connecting more than 70 of its wind turbines to diesel generators for when they don't work. <laughs> wow. Um, the Scottish government, with its green impresario, Patrick Harvey, one of the leaders of the Greens, uh, are now saying, this is crazy, but the whole thing's crazy, that homeowners wanting to install solar panels can no longer receive Scottish government funding unless they fork out to have uh, a heating system, the renewable, what do they call it, the renewable heating system. It's extraordinary. Um, I was speaking to somebody else who said that they've, they had done what Harvey had suggested, put that into their new house, and it's costing them thousands of pounds a year to actually run it. Also fascinating, UK, UK gas-fired electricity generation station. One morning this week, they provided 61% of electricity demand because there was a slump in wind power to a mere 0.3% of electricity generation, even less than coal, which is 2%, and France supplying 70% of our electricity, our aging nukes, 15%. The point about it is just simply this, that what happens when the wind doesn't blow? And, you know, if, if we really want to stop, and I think we should want to stop car carbon emissions getting into, you know, we want to cut it back, Experts are pointing to Belgium's nuclear phase-out as the culprit for a 13% increase in CO2 emission from electricity generation. The bottom line is, nuclear is needed. And then here's this from Canada. Danielle Smith, the Premier of Alberta. Again, I thought this fascinating. They phased out coal too early. Coal was a, a long-term, uh, sustainable way to provide low power. They, they phased it out early, costing billions of dollars. At the same time, they, for some reason, felt that they could bring on an equivalent amount of wind and solar and get the same amount of power as coal, and you cannot do that. Wind and solar are intermittent, and so we have had to build additional redundancy. That costs money. In addition, coal and natural gas plants are 800 megawatts. The typical wind and solar is 20 or 50 megawatts, which requires massively more transmission and distribution to be built. 
And as a result, because of intermittency, redundancy, early phase out of coal, we are now at a point four years later where people are paying up to 32 cents per kilowatt hour for power. We are not going to allow this to continue to happen. That's why we oppose the federal government's plan to get to a net zero power grid by 2035. The most recent report that was put out said that would cost $1.7 trillion. I haven't even seen an estimate of how much that would increase our power bills, but I'm told it could be up to five times higher. And again, no comment on that. The Times, another item, the Times reporting that thousands of acres of land are being turned into solar farms. Now get this, there are 42,000 acres of farmland in the UK marked for this. A farmer gets £588 per hectare for that compared with £186 to £270 for actual farming. We are making landowners uber-rich for a system that actually doesn't work. And then I read a fascinating report, and I'd love to I'll find out more about it, about Wales, but um, there is significant evidence that off the coast of California, a large number of whales, and in the North Atlantic as well, the North Atlantic right whales are, are heading for extinction. Their population has dropped to 340. And there is significant evidence that this has to do with offshore uh, wind farms. Again, I'll put the link up for that. And then as we've mentioned about the Dutch, Irish farmers are under pressure to cull up to 200,000 cows, which is extraordinary. Um, the Irish are brilliant dairy farmers, probably the best in the world. They supply dairy farmers with 130 markets around the world. Where will these nations source the milk, butter and cheese they need, if not from the Irish Republic? They will probably get it from nations who produce that in a less carbon friendly way. Incredible. You know, 43% of Ireland's beef goes to the UK. If the Irish kill their cows, guess where the UK will export it from? New Zealand, which is great for New Zealand farmers. All right, one other item, and sorry this is, this is so long, but I found this completely fascinating. After speaking in favour of electric cars uh, last week, and I still see a lot of positives about them, um, I'm afraid one of them isn't the carbon footprint. Here's why. Listen to this. You can see the conventional vehicle produces about 30 tonnes of CO2 over its lifetime. How does the electric vehicle look? Pretty good, right? Because some of that electricity comes from renewable sources, and because the electric motor is far more efficient than the internal combustion engine, it produces less CO2. But there is a problem with this graph. This graph says that at zero miles, zero CO2 has been produced. And if you think about that for a second, it means that the two cars have magically appeared in the showroom out of thin air. In reality, a huge amount of CO2 is produced just making a vehicle because you have to dig raw materials out of the ground transport them to factories where they can be formed into car parts before finally being assembled into vehicles. Each step requires energy, and so we create CO2. So you can see the conventional vehicle comes to the showroom having generated about six tons of CO2. And now this is the critical part. Making a battery isn't easy. 
The materials required are harder to find, and mating in battery cell requires a huge amount of energy. So the battery vehicle comes to the showroom having generated about 12 tons of CO2. And you can see you'd have to drive it around 80 or 90,000 miles before you offset that CO2 penalty. But it is better in the end. So the electric vehicle still looks good here as well, right? Well, this is where it gets interesting. You see, the conventional vehicle has a 400-mile range, while the electric vehicle in this example has a 125-mile range. Now, 125 miles might be enough for some of you, but most of us want more. We'd like to be able to drive great distances across the states. Or if you're here in Texas, you might just want to get to the next city. So really, we need to be comparing a 400-mile range electric vehicle. And as you may have guessed, a longer range requires a larger battery, which means a larger CO2 penalty. And now you start to see the problem. Over its expected lifetime, it has emitted more CO2 than the conventional vehicle. It has contributed more to climate change than the conventional vehicle, and that is the crux of the problem. It has produced more CO2, but we've measured none. And so society is happy to continue to call these zero emissions. But that is dangerous and unproductive. And my final thought on climate change to this week. Police Scotland, I love this, still cannot use electric vehicles despite a £25 million investment because they didn't invest enough chargers to allow them to be used and they're scared in chasing criminals if they ever do that. Then <laughs> they'll, oh my goodness. That they'll just run out of electricity. Um, the, run, the batteries will run out. Just wow. Uh, by the way, the police, it was fascinating. There was a cycle races around... Uh, where we were staying in Stirling and the village we were in, Kippen, um, I was just amazed at the number of police just hanging around and not actually bothering to tell us that the road was closed. And I spoke to one of them and suggested it might be a good idea for them to give a warning because all these people were getting backed up trying to get turned around. And he said, well, it's online, go and look at it online. I'm thinking, why, why is there at least six of you sitting there in a van? Anyway, I'll tell you what, let's take a break. Let's go from scripture and song. This is Eric Clapton and Blind Faith in the Presence of the Lord.
Okay, you're gonna need that. Um, so a lot of talk in there. Uh, this is one of the funniest skits. Please look at the whole thing uh, online. Uh, you'll recognize this. <laughs> Dude, but there were Chinese people there. All right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what is, I mean, that's the Yin family. They're living over there in that old Chinatown area. <laughs> Chinatown area? There's a Chinatown on Craggy Island? Dougal, I wouldn't have done a Chinaman impression if I'd known there was going to be a Chinaman there to see me doing a Chinaman impression. Why not, Ted? Because, because it's racist. They'll think I'm a racist. I'm going to have to catch up with them and explain I'm not a racist. Hello there, Father. Uh, hello, Colm. <laughs> Out and about. I am. Same as yourself. Good, good. I hear you're a racist now, Father. <laughs> what? what? How did That's you Father Ted about being racist. Um, Graham Linehan is again in the news and so sad in my native country that he's been cancelled due to complaints. Um, Leith Archers, this is at the Edinburgh Festival, said they will not allow him to perform because he does not allow align with our overall values. In the arts sector in Scotland, as in the academic sector, as in many other sectors, if you don't toe the line on this religion, if you blaspheme against it, you are out. Another man like that is a high-profile playwright called David Gregg, has been forced to apologise, to repent. He's in charge of the Lyceum Theatre in Edinburgh. He had two tweets which he liked from somebody defending the right, well, they weren't rude tweets, they weren't aggressive, they were just defending the rights of uh, women to have their own spaces. Extraordinary. And it's not just Scotland, the Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle, Washington has airbrushed JK Rowling out of its Hall of Fame and Harry Potter exhibits because of her gender critical beliefs. They're not gender critical beliefs, it's because she defends women and they're saying they want to be inclusive, so they're excluding her. We've seen this so many times. And then, whilst in Scotland, we very much enjoyed watching MasterChef, but we won't be watching this. This from the BBC. I will be completely honest and transparent. I was no Michelin-style chef before entering that kitchen. That's why I wanted the challenge, because my husband is the cook in our family, in our relationship, so I never really got an opportunity to get my teeth stunk into the pots and the pans. Cheryl Hole, Essex drag artist and one of the first ever contestants on RuPaul's Drag Race UK. I really wanted to see how far I could go with this, what I could come up with, because us as drag artists, we're creative individuals and transferring the skills I put on my face and onto stage into plates of food was something I really wanted to see what I could come up with. Hello, boys. <laughs> I feel like the movement is actually going a bit backwards where there's more hate crimes. We've just had an attack on the LGBTQ plus community in Clapham the other day. And I, I don't understand what is happening in the world. And to have representation for our community, to have our voices and our stories heard, but also show that we're nothing to be feared. We're light, laughter and entertainment. And we're just here for a good time and to make sure that everybody is just looked after. Drag artist Cheryl Hall. Yeah, get the name. 
I mean, has to be on Celebrity MasterChef. Now, what got me about this report was this is a man who's a drag queen. That's the whole point of it. And the BBC will refer to him as she. Um, and just the justification for all of this, you know, because there's been an attack on the LGBTQ community in Clapham. Well, I'll tell you what, there are hundreds of attacks on Christians every single week. Will the BBC putting, be putting a Christian on to MasterChef just to allow representation or, yeah. Um, and then just one other item on this, the Mary Rose, great article by Mary Wakefield. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, they've actually done this. The Mary Rose Museum. How can we understand the Mary Rose's collection of personal objects through a queer lens? Um, looking at things like mi mirrors, a gold wedding ring, and so on. Um, everything has become about this kind of propaganda. Let me say something about technology. Uh, I was astounded to hear this. When Threads started, the BBC, ABC and others were saying, oh, this is great, it's going to be taking over, and they promoted it. They haven't been reporting that Threads has lost more than half its 100 million people who signed up. Zuckerberg says he considers this normal. Yeah, really. Okay, I got a really interesting item for health, but let's see, what do you think this has to do with health? Stop, whoa, yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Wait, wait. That's the Carpenters, Mr. Postman, and we need more of the Carpenters. Um, this is a report from Monash University, Melbourne, a Dr. Joanne Ryan pointing out that writing a letter, not just dashing off a text, but writing an actual letter, although it seems a waste of time, but you do it regularly, it reduces your risk of developing dementia. Things like crossword puzzles, socializing friends, and so on. But this study found that keeping a diary, taking educational classes, as well as letter writing, what they call adult literacy activities, are, it makes you 11% less likely to develop dementia. Playing chess, by the way, is also a great thing. Love that. Sport. Um, I think I reported this before, but just a reminder that Saudi Arabia has now spent $6.3 billion on sports washing, golf, football, racing and motorsport, and of course Newcastle. And I mention that because Newcastle have just announced that they're going to hold two games for the Saudi team at St James's Park. And while we're on football, congratulations to the Australian women's football team for getting to the semi-finals of the Women's World Cup and the, the great attendance and enthusiasm in Australia for that, which has been wonderful. 
and congratulations to England for beating them and getting to the final. Uh, let's just say something about church. Um, not much. Two, two items. First of all, this. Our Constitution, if you read our Constitution, and you should, in fact, you should put the Bible aside and read the Constitution during some of your sermons. Just read pieces of it. Why? Why? Because if you study our, you study our Constitution, I mean study, you study the Federalist Papers, you study the, the, the writings of our founders, writings as, as deep as, as reading the letters from our founding fathers to their wives or to their, to their children. They're fascinating. And the, the United States Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence are based primarily on the Bible. That is Pastor Michael Flynn. Uh, I'm sorry. When you start saying, put down your Bible and study the Constitution for some of your sermons, this is way, 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 way beyond any form of Christianity. Horrendous. Uh, the American Constitution, wonderful document as it is, is not the Word of God and should not be preached. And then just some news that's just in, uh, we'll probably have more to say about it next week, but uh, it's interesting that Brian Houston of Hillsong has been found not guilty in a Sydney court of covering up uh, the abuse, the child abuse that his father indulged in. I'm just curious over the next week whether the secular media will give as much coverage to this as they would have, certainly if he were found guilty. And then uh, I often look at obituaries. This is not an obituary, but I do want to mention this gentleman, Jeremy Marshall. He was just a wonderful, wonderful Christian brother. This is him talking uh, not long before he died, and he died this week. Hi, my name's Jeremy Marshall. I'm sitting here having chemotherapy, as you can see, at the Royal Marsden Hospital in London. This is my 27th chemotherapy. Sadly, hospitals don't give frequent flyer points. So why am I a Christian? Well, two reasons. One is I believe there is an answer to death. I've been living for the last eight years with cancer and I've found that the promises that God makes to us in the Bible are true and that when he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, that's been my experience. And secondly, that there's actually an even bigger problem, a problem of mine and a problem of all of us, which is the things we've done wrong that separate us from God, which will lead us eventually to eternal death, not just physical death. And I believe Jesus offers me and offers you the solution to that problem, which is his death on the cross, where he takes the bill, if you like, for all the things that we've done wrong. Being a Christian is not easy. There is a cost to being a Christian. It's been challenging at times. And every day I would say I get things wrong, I screw up. I don't do things I should do. I do things I, I, I shouldn't do. But what I found amazing is the presence and power of the love of Jesus Christ in my life. And that makes all the difference to me, and I believe it can make all the difference to you. So thanks for listening, and every blessing on London City Mission in its 185th year. I give thanks for his life. And speaking of giving thanks, Lincoln's Inn, one of the UK's oldest legal institutions, has decided to stop giving thanks at their meetings. Um, the treasurer, Anne Sharp, said, we've done this in order to be a little more inclusive. Excluding Christianity, that means being inclusive. Well, I think it's much more serious than that, to be honest. 
Um, because Romans 1 says that humanity's great sin is not to be thankful to God. Um, I've been going through the top 20 children's books. I'm just going to mention this one. I, I don't know it. I've never read it. The Little Prince is number four. It's the words and illustrations by Antoine Saint-Exupéry from 1943 about a little prince, Le Petit Prince, who um, visits various planets. I'm told it's well worth looking at. And speaking of reading, uh, this week's seek question put up on the website is about factory farming. The question is, does factory farming of animals make God angry? And the passage is Exodus 21 to 17. And we look at things like William Wilberforce, Bible teaching about animals from Proverbs, Deuteronomy, Matthew, and Psalm 104. And an amazing book I recommend called Joel Salatin's the pigness of pigs. And I think how we look after and how we treat our animals is hugely uh, significant and important for Christianity. Thanks to Peter for producing this. Please do get into touch with me if you've got questions, comments, criticisms, news, anything. Feel free. If you'd like to support us, go to the Podbean fundraiser. And please do review this on whatever... Uh, thing you use Apple iTunes or whatever it's been great to see this continuing to grow and uh, pray for us I'll probably have some news about uh, how we hope to develop this in the next couple of weeks okay I'm going to love you and leave you with a new Keith and Kirsten Geddes song uh, the God of every grace I love the line now to the God of every grace who counts my tears who holds my days I sing through sorrows sing with faith oh praise the God of every grace God bless you and see you next week, hopefully from Australia. Bye. Oh, let not this world of sorrows steal my only hope away. For the power of your gospel shines within this jar of clay. In affliction, you bring wisdom that my comforts can displace How my true and greatest treasure is in you, the God of grace No!
Grace. 